Welcome to Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. I'm Ed Yaka, the Director of Communications and Public Policy. Across the country, state legislatures are attempting to severely curtail individual rights. From ending abortion rights to limiting LGBTQ plus rights to banning books in libraries and public schools. Although we've not seen these attacks in our own legislature, many of these fights are playing out at the local level. Whether it's the Plainfield Park District threatening to cancel a community drag show, an effort to remove LGBTQ inclusive books in the Lincolnwood Library System, or Peoria, Urbana, and Normal City Council considering the deployment of automatic license plate readers, civil liberties debates are taking place in your community. Your vote for these local offices where these decisions are made truly matters. Illinois is holding consolidated elections on April 4th to select candidates to serve in a number of local elected offices. These positions, while they don't always get much attention, are critical to advancing and protecting civil liberties. For a discussion about some of these offices, we're happy to be joined again on Talking Liberties by the Director of Advocacy and Intergovernmental Affairs at the ACLU of Illinois, Kadeen Bennett. So Kadeen, welcome back to the podcast and thanks for joining us to talk about this issue today. Great, thanks so much for having me. It's always a joy to be here with you, Talking Liberties. So let me start with like a race that I think a lot of people are gonna see on their ballot and wonder about, which is library boards. And we've actually heard a lot about libraries across the country and here in Illinois. You know, we saw recently that, for example, Indiana passed a law that lets libraries ban books based on certain kinds of content. I, I presume that Illinois isn't going to follow that path at state level? As of now, we don't believe that Illinois would be like those other states that have those laws in place, but I would say it's not something we take for granted. As you've heard before, when we've talked about elections, especially at the state level, it's really important to make sure that elected officials know that this issue is important to them. So even if it's not something that our state would do, it's critical for us to continue to stress to our elected officials at the statewide level that these issues concern us, and we never want to be that kind of state. So I would say for now, and um, in the foreseeable future. It's not an issue we need to be worried about, but I think the way to guarantee that it won't be a problem is to make sure that your elected officials know you care about this issue. And when you look at this election and you bore down to that local level, what's important to know about the role of a library board member? Like what kind of functions do they have that would, would make a difference in this area? So even before getting there, I would say that libraries and librarians have been a strong partner in First Amendment protection in Illinois. They tend to be a line of defense that's really, really critical. And the library board members tend to be the bosses of those people. So that role is even more important because no matter what the librarians want to do, the library board members tend to have a lot of power. So some of the roles that those entities have is they set policies and oversee programming for the library. And that includes community events and community sponsored events. So they get to, in some ways, have, develop policies that says who you can and can't partner with. Some of that power they have may include what books are purchased, for example. So even before we get to what's being banned, we think about what's being purchased. 
So they also make decisions over challenges to ban books, whether or not they would challenge it, especially if it's coming from um, some other entity, if they're going to participate in, in litigation, or even challenges to inclusive library displays. As we're looking at some of the things we're seeing in other states, the idea of LGBT inclusive curriculum or LGBT inclusive books or LGBT inclusive programming, that's been a, a hot issue. So they would decide whether or not they would challenge those things. And also challenges, as I said before, to community events, whether or not a particular community event can happen at a library or be co-sponsored by, by a particular library. And then they adopt and enforce policies about who has access to library facilities for programs and events. And I think it's important where it's not just in terms of who has access, not just for, you know, what kinds of programs are there and who can come to the programs. But I think a place where folks may not think about it is that it's been a, a really important area in, in terms of access for people who are experiencing homelessness. Are they allowed to come to a library and take advantage of those services or not? So, you know, we think about the LGBT part of it. We think about the banned books part of it, but it's also a place when we think community, broad community. So folks who have nowhere else to go, but they do want to take advantage of the resources that are available in the library even resources that help people figure out jobs in terms of people figuring out housing opportunities. The libraries can be a hub of community. And that library space is also often a community space that people use for events, for meetings. I suspect you and I have both spoken at libraries in different parts of the state. And does the board help in terms of, again, backing up those professionals and their policies to make sure that everyone can use those spaces. Exactly. And it shouldn't be a checklist of, you know, why are you having this meeting? What are you going to be talking about? Who's going to be attending the meeting? That's not the kind of role that we want librarians and the folks who are on library boards to, to have ultimate decision making of. And if they do have that decision making, we want to make sure that they are adapting a First Amendment constitutional principle. We've heard of folks who are applying to these positions or running for election, and their platform is to be as exclusive as possible. And that's a really scary thing to think about right now. Yeah. And, and especially in light of what we see happening across the country with this effort, you know, we've talked before about trying to exclude materials because they talk about sexual orientation or gender identity or any of those, you know, kinds of things really are. That's a, it's a scary notion today that there are people who would limit other folks from getting information because they don't like it. Especially information about things that are just that core values of Illinois, right? So we, even before the Supreme Court decision, we had marriage equality in Illinois. Before that, we had civil unions. We recognize families look different. And because my family is not like your family, it doesn't mean that my family is better or worse than your family. I think some of what we're seeing is just so counter to what, as a state, we believe in. So the things that are in jeopardy are basic things like seeing a book on the library shelves that talk about somebody who has two two moms. I mean, that is a reality for a lot of young people and children and families in Illinois. So to try to erase someone's reality and that happening at the library level it is a bit scary to think about. And again, we know that there are people across Illinois who are running for libraries with the express purpose of keeping just that kind of information out of their local library. Exactly. And it's whether or not the 
broad community wants it, right? So, you know, you still have young people who want it. You still have parents and taxpayers in that community who want access to that broad education. And, you know, unless anything's changed since the last time I went to a library, it's not like the librarians tell you what books you have to read, right? So you have the choice to decide, you know, what section you want to peruse, what books you take out. So there's no forced reading there. And I think even as it relates to library-sponsored events, again, there is no requirement that everybody attends a particular event or a meeting. You get to decide. And that freedom for you to decide, but not to decide for others is really at the core of this. Yes, yeah. So let's move on to another race that a lot of folks across Illinois are going to see in April and one that's really important, and that's school boards. And I think sometimes we tend to think about civil liberties issues being hashed out in Congress or in D.C. or in the legislature, but there's a lot of civil liberty stuff that takes place at the basic level of a, of a local public school. Yeah, I think for some people, the notion of what a school board does and the power they have came up during the pandemic when school boards were deciding policy in terms of return to school and what precautions had to take place. The other side of that is in terms of what's being taught at the school level. So, you know, at the ACLU, we've done a lot of work related to school activities from anti-bullying policy to sex ed to disciplinary policy, school resource officers. And in a lot of legislation that's out there around school activity, it's up to local control. So people at the local level get to decide how to implement these really critical policies. And sometimes laws can be prescriptive. In Springfield, it seems like the desire is to not be prescriptive. So it then has a lot of power at the local school board level. So those races are so critical. I mean, just thinking about some of the issues that we've worked on. So comprehensive sexual health education. So this is making sure that young people have information that will keep them safe throughout their lives. It ranges from understanding boundaries, understanding friendship and relationships. As you grow, you know, it's age appropriate. So what you learn in probably is the second grade is different from the eighth or ninth or 12th grade. After we passed our most recent update to the sexual health education law, which creates basically a foundation of what should be taught to make sure that it's age appropriate comprehensive, that it's inclusive of the students who are in Illinois, there was a huge pushback at the local level. And our language wasn't a mandate. I mean, we want all young people to have access to it, but it's if you teach it, here are the standards. And there was a lot of local blowback in some communities about the idea of providing this kind of information, access to information to young people. And that spurred a lot of people to run for school board, not to make sure that that information was available to young people, but to make sure that information won't be available. Um, so there was a lot of organizing there. We also saw it in relation to LGBT inclusive curriculum bill that was passed, I think probably a, a two years ago now, yeah. and around the implementation of that. So the idea of people running for office at the school board level because they didn't want to enforce a law that requires inclusive language. So it's as simple as saying that when you're talking about families, you're not just talking about heterosexual families. You are talking about families and all of the dynamics that exist, including if it's parents who are two dads, two moms, single parents. That's also a very important issue that school boards are going to be deciding on. And then there's, it's almost like these manufactured fear mongering, I would say, around the issue of critical race theory, which, I mean, I was an American Studies AFAM major. I learned about critical race theory in college. I mean, I'd be surprised if that's happening in middle school right now 
all, all power to them if that's the case. But what we're actually talking about is basic history, we're talking about different people who of different cultures and teaching curriculum that's reflective of those people. I mean, that's not in any way radical. I, I would hope for our listeners, they would agree that it's not radical, but it is something that's become politicized at those school board elections. Yeah, I love the idea that somehow critical race theory has now become teaching about Jackie Robinson and Roberto Clemente, as opposed to the actual complex theory that is critical race theory in, in college or, or law school. Yeah. Um, and just so you think about, you know, some of what's being taught in schools is about understanding where we come from. I know for Native American folks, you think of some of the names of cities and towns in Illinois that's reflective of a Native history. It's like you think about, you know, Black History Month, Women's History Month, LGBT History Month. It's an opportunity to talk about folks and cultures that have had a huge impact in our society. But it's really good to not just teach about those things during a particular month, right? And I think that's what schools have been doing. Doing. And now it feels like we're going in reverse in terms of the fights that we're having. And of course, disciplinary policies are a place of interest for us in terms of having school resource officers. What are the limitations? Are we having a police force in our schools? And just this past week, I testified in committee around an update to our anti-bullying policy. So school boards get to decide how to implement those policies. And that's really important because we want to know when young people are targeted and are facing harm or, or lack of support because of particular identities. And to know what's happening, it's not to punish students necessarily, it's to make sure that the schools are creating an environment where folks who are based on their identities are being harmed or harassed in some way or being bullied. There's some programming to help students understand why that's problematic and what can be done in an affirming way. And then that's in total contradiction to people running for school board to reinforce a climate where that kind of, I would call it a little bit of hate mongering, ends up being legitimized. One of the other races, whether you're in Chicago and voting for your local older person or whether it's like the little town in Illinois where I grew up, people are going to be electing representatives to their local city or town council. And I wonder how you see those roles and those positions as affecting civil rights and civil liberties. Those, again, are really important races. As I was thinking about the podcast today, I was thinking about how after the Supreme Court decision and, you know, a few decisions the Supreme Court has made, you know, a lot of people have talked about how instead of looking to the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, we have to look at the lower level. And, you know, first, in some cases, that may mean the state legislature. And it feels more and more that we even have to look even lower in terms of where the rubber hits the road in the most direct way. And those are those city council and town council races. So after the Dobbs decision, we got calls from local city councils asking us, like, what can we do on the local level where they may have more direct ability to set policy and have protections in place? So just thinking about things like making sure that Illinois continues to be a place where folks have full access to reproductive health care. So, you know, abortion policy sanctuary town. So like that's a space of making sure that there are protections at the state level and the local level as well. Thinking about LGBT protections, making sure that in terms of policies related to insurance coverage for LGBT folks to zoning 
uh, particular issues. We saw that in terms of the uprising bakery and Aurora Pride examples where zoning matters and policies around parades matter. And those folks have the ability to make those decisions. We see it in terms of policing issues. I think after the death of George Floyd, we saw lots of localities really wanting to rethink their use of force policies and also getting a lot of pressure from community folks who are telling their local law enforcement entities that they want to rethink those policies. So those city council members have the ability to either drive that kind of change or when that change is presented to make sure that there is the funding to support alternative approaches to, to policing. So instead of police officers coming to someone's house for every single 911 call, is it more appropriate for folks who have experience with, you know, mental health issues to attend those calls. We're also seeing it in the context of privacy and I guess maybe reduction in privacy rights. So we've seen it in the use of things like automatic license plate readers. And there's an intersection with privacy and reproductive rights that folks are understanding yeah. more and more. So when we're worried about people coming from either border states or from other states coming to Illinois to seek reproductive health care, Things like automatic license plate readers, which can track a car once they hit our border and identify where they're going, the kinds of services they're seeking. That's a, a huge place where these local city council members have the ability to craft policy where it's either going to continue to overtrack folks, either folks seeking reproductive health care or people in their communities generally, or have uh, policies that protect people in their community from, from over-surveillance. You mentioned the ALPRs there. You know, we've just seen an explosion or really an expansion of that surveillance net across the state. And it really does make a difference who at the local level is asking questions or if the city council member is saying, hey, wait, how will this work as opposed to just rubber stamping something and letting it go into effect? Yep, that's absolutely right. And I think there's a partnership there, or maybe these two things play on each other. I would just suggest to folks who are listening that for any of these issues that we've talked about, so around like if you care about abortion access, LGBT rights, privacy, I think those are the kinds of things that you should be asking the folks who are running for city council where they stand on these issues and making sure that they're thinking about things from a civil liberties perspective. Because if they're not hearing from you that those things are important, then they're less likely to ask those questions. Thankfully, there are some some city council folks who are running who care about these issues, but there are some people who need to hear, even if they care about it, they need to hear that you also care about it because it gives them more leverage. We also know that there are folks who are running on the other side of these issues. From our policy perspective, they may be wrong, but they're wrong and strong in terms of the voice that they have. You know, the other thing with any city or community that we're hearing a lot these days about the mayor's race in Chicago, but obviously Chicago isn't the only place where we're electing a mayor and mayors have less or more power depending on the structure of the community. But what role beyond what's happening at the council, like what role do you see for a mayor in many of the issues we are concerned about as well? You know, while the city council may vote on budgets, the mayor tends to set out a budget for the city and a budget is a, um, a show of priority, policy priorities. So I think that's one place. The mayor also has in, in many municipalities the power to appoint people to really important offices, including, um, you know, who's the, the head of their police department, their police force. So that's also another place. The mayor also has some executive EO, executive order authority. So they are able to 
for particular issues, make policy without going to the city council. To, you know, we've seen some of that happen, I think probably both in the pandemic context, but also in terms of the uh, reproductive rights, gender affirming care context as well. They are in charge of those city council meetings, right? So they determine what's on the agenda at least for the cities that I know of, they are very, very heavily involved in drafting ordinances. So sometimes if an ordinance comes from the mayor's office, it carries more weight for maybe a new uh, city council member. And then they are able to have a heavy thumb on the scale of what passes in terms of policy. I mean, if they are pushing a particular agenda, there can be a lot of power there. So the mayor also sets the tone for not just their local city, but their mayor's conferences where it's, you know, mayors come, you know, go to Washington, D.C. to decide, like, you know, this is the policy that, you know, we have in our city. You should have this policy as well. So there are a number of spaces, both at the the very local level that mayors have power in terms of even talking to the governor, right? The mayor has a, a phone call, a line in there as well. And they have the power to push policy in Springfield as well and also kill good policy in Springfield. <laughs> yeah. So I guess when you think about all of these things we've talked about and it's down at that local level. So what do you think is the role that people ought to think of for themselves in these local policies? What is it that they can do to really make sure that their values get represented at a local council meeting or a library board or a school board meeting? What would you advise people to do? I think right before and right after an election are the times where elected officials are most open to hearing from folks because they feel like that push to be responsive. So I would say if you haven't voted yet, I would suggest talking to your local either folks who are running for the school board election, the library board, the city council, and let them know what values you hold and what things are important to you and to figure out where they are on the issue. And if they are um, open to it and doing a, a briefing with them. If you need help with that, please let us know. And if there are ACLU issues, we're happy to provide you with resources or support to have those kinds of conversations. Um, the other thing I would say is after the election, again, going to talk to those folks to say, okay, you're elected. And you know we've talked about it before. And if you haven't, it's a good time to open that communication and to offer them the resources. So if you are part of any kind of community group where that you care about particular issues, like opening that door of communication. And if you're not, if you're a solo person, I think still reaching out to them is really important. And I think showing up at those meetings. So whatever issues, if you're interested in all of those areas, go to all of those meetings. But if there's one place like the school board, or library board that's a passion place for you, even if you're not an elected person, I think showing up is really important, especially if they're voting on things that are important to you or, or reflect the values that you have. So if you are hearing about a decision around banning books and you're upset about it, you could be upset at home and no one knows, or you could show up and say, you know, I am a member of this community. This is why it's really important for me to have, you know, books available and not have books banned. So I think those are, are some of the things. And I think, you know, we see a lot of organizing that's happening on social media and it could feel like the other side is very, very organized. But I mean, even if it's little steps that you're taking, organizing your community as well. And then because, Ed, your voice is deep in my head, I think letters to the editor. <laughs> I think that's a really important place where folks pay attention if something is, you know, on this thing called newspapers, I think that people still yeah. read. Yeah, they still get them at their door. They still read yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
You know, and I wonder, thinking about that, if you have any tips for people, I love that idea of speaking to an elected official beforehand, but I wonder if you have any other ideas about researching candidates before you go to the polls. There are lots of entities who create voting guides, so I would uh, suggest looking at, at those people. I know we're nonpartisan in our approach, but I would research any folks who do it. I think the League of Women Voters, for example, they have a guide. I think a good thing is whatever issue you're interested in, there may be a guide that's specific to that issue, or it could be more of general voting guides like the League of Women Voters, for example. And I think look on the website of the candidates who are running, but I also think it's worth going to any kind of events that they're having. So if they're doing a meet the candidates, you know, coffee shop thing, I think going there and, and chatting with them and hearing for yourself about what their positions are is, is really important. Folks do endorsements. So I think looking at who's doing endorsements and what they're saying, those are other things that folks are able to do. So let's say that over these last few minutes, someone has listened to us and said, you know what, that's really important. I wasn't going to go do that. Is there still time for people to register and vote? Yep, there is still time to register. There's same-day registration available. Early voting happens throughout Illinois. For folks, you know, one of the bills that we've worked on is around making sure that people with a felony conviction know that they still have the ability to vote, the right to vote. And if you want more details, go to our website because we have a lot of information there. So our website is www.aclu-il.org slash 2023 election. Or you could just go to our website, Google ACLU of Illinois election, and I'm sure that a, a link will come up with all of these resources that are available. Well, Kadeen, thanks so much for taking the time to do this today. And thanks for talking about these really important races. And I'm sure we'll do one of these next year for other races. I do want to say before I end is, and I hear this from folks and sometimes have this feeling myself, like, what's the point? Like, what's the point of voting? Does it really matter? This person's going to win anyway. And I think we see more and more in Illinois, in, in my experience, that there are races that are decided by like literally one vote. You hear that and you're like, no, it's not true. One vote, five votes, 10 votes. There are some races at the state level that were decided by, you know, low double digits. And if you think at the local level and even the more local you get, those one or two votes make a huge difference. So if you are thinking about whether you should do it, do it. If you have a person or people in your life who are like, oh, I don't want to go, encourage them gently or not so gently to go because it does make a difference. And, you know, more and more, I know we had the tagline vote like your rights depend on it. More and more, it's true. And not just your rights, but the rights of your neighbors or people down the street. It's a really scary time. And that scary time is not just happening at the high level, at the federal level, it's happening at the super local level as well. And for folks who are feeling really vulnerable right now, like their whole identity is up for grabs. I think the way to be a true ally in this moment is to show up both when you vote and showing up when, you know, these injustices are happening because that's the way to show that you actually care. I think that's a great place to leave it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ed. You can find more information about the elected offices that we've discussed today, your rights while voting, and important dates leading up to the April 4th election on our website at www.aclu-il.org slash 2023 election. Thank you for listening to Talking Liberties from the ACLU of Illinois. Kimberly Koziel is the producer of this podcast. Our executive director is Colleen Connell. 
listen to other episodes and rate this podcast wherever you get your content. And remember, go vote in April. Until next time, this is Ed Yanka. Thank you for joining us.